This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Before I introduce today's episode and today's guest, I just wanted to jump on and thank some listeners who have signed up to Headstuff Plus to join the basically community. They give five euro a month to support the podcast, to support me and to get access to extra bonus material. And I'm very, very grateful to them. So in order to show my gratitude, I'm going to name some of them. And each week I'm going to spotlight more of you by naming you to say thank you personally. So this week I want to thank Amy Kennedy, Jane Holton, Katie Allen, Mary O'Leary, Laura Casey, Edel Fitzgerald, Helen Faherty, Roisin Moriarty, Michael Rafter and Mark Campbell. Thank you so much. I've considered each of your names and I'm genuinely sending you all, sending you all of my gratitude molecules to say thank you so much for supporting me and the podcast. And if anyone else wants to support the show, you can sign up at headstuffpodcasts.com. Now here's the show. Hello and welcome to Basically It's Me, Stephanie. Thank you for joining me again this Tuesday. Uh, So this week I was watching a TV show called It's a Sin and it got me thinking, I was kind of embarrassed about how little I knew and how ignorant I felt from, you know, I thought that I'm a pretty woke person, pretty well-educated. And the things that I was learning in the show, particularly around sexual health, were in enlightening and also kind of terrifying. So I thought if I don't know a lot about this, then I can presume that a lot of people don't know a lot about this. So what good what a good topic to 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 discuss today. So I got in contact with Dr. Ashling Loy, who is a genitourinary consultant. I don't really know what that means, but she's here in studio to enlighten me on her job title and all things sexual health. Ashling, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for having me, Stephanie. So uh have you seen it as in? Oh, absolutely. Devoured it, loved it. Um you know, it's it's really relevant to me and my work and my job. So I thought maybe I'm the only one who's loving this because but my husband sat down and watched it with me. And then I realized, no, actually, everyone's watching it and everyone's loving it. You know, friends that have absolutely nothing sort of, you know, no real interest in HIV as a, a medical specialty were coming up to me and talking to me about it. So I realized it sort of had hit um, a nerve with some people are, are sort of woke up um, this sort of quest to know a bit more about HIV and, and where we're at now because it has been brushed under the carpet for a long time and unless you're in the, in the field or you have it um, or you're newly you know diagnosed or you know someone with it you don't tend to think about it very much. Yeah like my, my perception of it and this is going to sound very ignorant, I know, because now that I've seen the show, is that it's not something that's very common. It's not something that's going to concern me as a woman and that it's something that gay men have to be cautious of. But I kind of didn't think that it was an Irish problem, even though it's a global issue and it does affect women. It do- Internationally, it affects women um, a lot more than, say, in Ireland. Yes, we do have HIV positive women in Ireland. Um, and it is something that does affect the heterosexual community. But you're right, it still is predominantly an infection that infects um, the gay community. Um, and that's bore out in the statistics in Ireland. However, you know, we do every year see it within the heterosexual community too. So it's not something you shouldn't think about at all, but you shouldn't also be overly worried. Concerned. Yeah, you know, it's something that you should think about, you know, with regards to in the context of all sexual infections and all of your sexual health. Um, but don't be overly worried because we do see the two ends of the spectrum. We see people who come in that should be concerned about it, um, but have never actually even heard of HIV. I've seen that in some young gay men coming into me and they wouldn't understand what HIV is. And then I've seen, you know, people who have had a really low risk encounter, overly worried and repeated testing. So you have to get the balance in the middle where you're 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 educated and know that there are risks out there, but not to be too concerned. And in terms of, I mean, we'll talk about HIV first, and then kind of, I suppose, talk about general, more general sexual health. What are the things that, I mean, what is HIV, and how how do you get it, and how do you not get it, or how do you prevent it? So HIV is a bloodborne virus. Um, and it infects you mostly. The most common way of transmitting it in Ireland is um, through sexual contact. So, and mostly men to men. Um, but 
as I said, you can get male to female, female to male. You can also get it mother to child. So if a mom is HIV positive, um, she could pass it on to a baby in utero or at birth. Um, thankfully, this is a really, really uncommon mm-hmm. occurrence in Ireland because um, there's screening of all pregnant women and anyone who's found to be HIV positive would be put on treatment during pregnancy and for life. And that would prevent that that scenario happening. But internationally, that would be one of the most common ways that people would get infected would be in say, sub-Saharan Africa, where babies are born to mothers um, who have HIV infection. So it's blood. So... Yeah, blood bodily fluids, so semen, um, blood, um, sharing needles would be another way. Um, and back before there was, we knew what this infection was back in the 80s and blood transfusions, that there would have been unfortunate people who needed blood transfusions and got it, got it um, that way. But thankfully that does not happen anymore. So can you, so then HIV, can you talk about HIV and the symptoms of it or how it leads to AIDS, yeah. which is the bigger yeah. Is it the bigger issue? So to really sort of simplify it, HIV is a virus that attacks the immune system. Mm-hmm. So in your body, you have these blood cells that you're, as you're sitting here breathing and, you know, going about your daily business, unbeknownst to you, your immune system's playing a role. And anytime you come in contact with a pathogen, you know, be it through you know, breathing it in in the air. You don't have to think about that, but your body's working away, clearing away that pathogen and, and doing its job. HIV would come into your body and attack your immune system and deplete the number of good fighter cells that you have. So your okay. CD4 cells, your T cells. A normal person's T cell level would be between, say, 500 and 1,000. And if you got HIV, it gradually over time depletes. You mightn't have any symptoms at all. You wouldn't know it until eventually it gets so low that it can't do its job. So the day-to-day pathogens that you would come into contact with suddenly become overwhelming within your body. And so like colds and flus or yeah, COVID or anything. Yeah, and even like you would get candida um, or Kaposi sarcoma or lymphoma. So things that your body normally would be going around clearing up. Um, now it, there just isn't enough of them left to do the job and to clear it up. However, nowadays, um, so, so getting back to how you would know Lots of lots of time often passes before people would get really sick, um, and 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 know that way. So the best way to know is just to test, because for the large majority of people, they have absolutely no symptoms. And I mean, five eight years could pass before you would actually eventually get symptoms of what used to be called AIDS. Um, so, you know, nowadays we like to think that it's all reversible um, because it is if you get it in time and you can bring the immune system back up. So if, say, I get HIV and I'm asymptomatic yeah. and I'm sexually active in uh, with multiple partners so I don't, I'm not in a relationship, if I have no symptoms, can I spread it oh, to I- other people? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So that's why it spreads. So, yeah, okay. that's why it spreads. So and the thing about it nowadays is we are really trying to get the message across this message called you equals you. And what that means is undetectable equals untransmissible. So if you acquired HIV and you started on treatment for HIV, your viral load, the amount of virus in your blood would become undetectable. And that's just by taking one pill a day, often without any side effects. And that brings the virus levels right down. So you couldn't infect anyone else, even if you had unprotected sex. You're actually the safest person to have sex with. I say to people, look, if you went into a nightclub and you had 100 people in there and there was one person going, I've got HIV, but I'm on treatment. That's the person who you can guarantee you can't get HIV from. Whereas if everyone else said, well, I did, I have never tested, that's the risk. Okay? okay, so people will sometimes come in and say, gosh, I was with this guy and he told me afterwards he's got HIV, but he's on treatment and I'm really worried now. I say, well, you know, many guys did you have sex with that you didn't know their status and they're actually the ones that are the biggest risk to you. Okay. So it's really important for people to realise now that people with HIV, once you're diagnosed and on treatment and your viral load's undetectable, which could take about three to six months, then then you can't transmit it to partners. And also you won't... Like did you won't get sick. You won't from get it. sick. Yeah, that's yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah. You you have a so that's totally transformed. Totally transformed. So there's there's very little reason. You know, it, nowadays the only 
reason people die from HIV often is just through ignorance, through okay. not getting it caught on time and treated on time and presenting too late. And how do you... So should everyone be getting tested for HIV or just people who are having sex or have who are gay men or should no, women no er, all everyone should be getting tested but in the context of um a full sexual health screen so okay. you know it's it's simple once you're testing for HIV you it's it can easily be done to test for other infections for syphilis for hepatitis um and then chlamydia and gonorrhea testing would be a standard STI screen so it's a good idea not to target so I would sometimes get very low risk HIV uh, patients coming in so patients who are very low risk of having HIV coming in and saying I just want a HIV test and I would have to explain to them look we can do that but honestly you you're missing out an opportunity here while you're here to test for the things that you're more likely to have so not to ignore that. So let's talk about those things then. Um, Mm -hmm. How frequently should people be getting STI screens, how or should everyone be getting them? Everyone sh- everyone that's sexually active and has never been tested before and has new partners should be getting screened. So if, if you're a young sexually active person, so say under the age of 30, you should be getting screened. Even if you're using condoms all of the time? If you're using condoms all the time, then you're much lower risk. However, just so you're aware, you know, people often wouldn't use condoms for say, oral sex or even anal sex and don't realise that you can get STIs, you know, carry chlamydia, gonorrhea, you can get syphilis in the oral cavity um, and then Sorry, pass it on. You can, you can get syphilis in your mouth? In your mouth, yeah. Well, so, okay. so people sometimes have this misconception that the only bodily cavity that can be infected with STIs is the vagina but actually you know any sort of mucosal surface so be that the the rectum or be it the the mouth um, is the same it's the same surfaces the same infections can occur there so that to to realize that that's also a, a place that people can get infections so sometimes I'll have people who are you know they don't realize that um that they can't understand if they're using condoms all the time, but then you say, well, what about for oral sex? And they say, oh, no, no, never for that. So, um, so look, yeah, if you're having a new partner, it's a good idea for two people to come together um, at the start of a relationship and for a nice clean slate or to treat infections that are there. Um, if you're having a lot of partners, you're having a lot of unprotected sex then twice a year. Um, otherwise, you know, treat it like the way you would a dental checkup, you know, that you get checked once a year. Um, but, you know, there is this misconception out there, I think, especially in Ireland, that only dirty people go to clinics yeah. and get screened and that it's something. But actually, it's the opposite. It's, it's you know, often it's the people who are really good about looking after their sexual health and the people that don't go um, either, you know, are in total denial about that they're having sex and, you know, are they, they, they have this misconception that it's, you know, that you would know if you had an infection. Okay, so you might not know. And, and, and so if you're, so say if you have, if you always use protection for vaginal sex, but you don't for other types of sex, what is the, what's the process of getting an STI screen? Is it a blood test or is it a smear or is it a, like, yeah. not a smear but a sample? So, when you come in, we will ask a few basic questions. So you can you can opt for if you have no symptoms, you could do something like an express screen where you do your own testing. OK, but we just need to ascertain, first of all, what what your sexual orientation is, if you have male partners, female partners or both. So we know what type of sex that you you're having. So we know what were to test for infection. So mm-hmm. there's a couple of, of questions for for the basic screen. Um, sometimes if you've if you symptoms, we will go into more depth, like, you know, when when did you last have sex so that we can ascertain we're not doing this just to be nosy. Yeah. We want to ascertain when your risk was, what your risk was to see if you're in what's called the window period. So say you had unprotected sex um, five days ago um, and it was high risk and you came to screen. Now we would have to say, well, look, there's 
a 42-day or around four to six weeks wait period for HIV to seroconvert in your blood. So if we test today, that doesn't give you the all clear. You could still be incubating and it mightn't show up. So there's what we call window periods where people need to wait a certain length of time before testing. And can nothing be done in that time to prevent it? You just have to wait. And So for HIV, there is what's called post-exposure prophylaxis. It's sort of like the morning after pill for HIV that you can take within 72 hours of a high-risk exposure. And by high-risk exposure, we often mean unprotected anal sex for gay men. Um, with someone who is HIV positive or just anyone? No, no. Um, with anyone, as I say, the people who are HIV positive are actually the people who can't transmit it. So yes, they're okay. often on treatment. So if they're HIV positive, they're usually on treatment and viral load undetectable. Um, so they're actually not the, the person to worry about it. It's the unknown status. It's the randomer that you've met and you don't know anything about them um, and you don't know their their, their HIV status because they've never had a, a screen before. So if you get to, if you if you are, fall into that category, you can you can go to an emergency department or a sexual health clinic within 72 hours um, to get post-exposure prophylaxis but now actually what we have is prevention so I I think of that as the morning after pill that girls would take mm-hmm. to prevent pregnancy and um, that's more sort of directed at gay men for um, HIV prevention there's also pre-exposure prophylaxis now which is available to men who would be seen as high risk of getting HIV um, so like the contraceptive pill like the contraceptive for, pill okay. exactly so um if you go to uh, Is that called prep that's called prepped pre-exposure prophylaxis. prophylaxis. Oh, yeah. So prep um is something now that's been rolled out in Ireland unfortunately covid has kind of um got in the way of it a bit because a lot of the clinics have have shut but it's still running um uh, in you know at a limited um a limited pace at the minute and that is where men take um, a drug either every day or what we call event based so around the time of having sex and that prevents HIV transmission during that that time and do you do you work in a public clinic or a private is that is that something that anyone can get or so I work I, I work in a few different places so I work um, in a public clinic in the guide clinic in St James's Hospital which is the biggest sexual health clinic and I'm half time consultant there and I also have a private clinic Chimerous Health in Portobello um, and I'm half time there and then I do reach out, outreach clinics to the Coombe Hospital once every fortnight for pregnant women with infections um, and I also work in a women's health clinic which is a public clinic for sex workers. And have you noticed during covid that people's sexual interaction has decreased or I mean there's no nightclubs open there's, there's no, pubs no open. yeah there's no night but there's there's dating apps so, okay. <laughs> so yeah up. no people are still look the, the 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 figures for 2020 will show and have been showing a decrease in STIs but I don't for a minute believe that that's because there is a real decrease in STIs I think that's access to care because Clinics have been limited, especially public services um, because of COVID, because usually we would have a lot of people in our, 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 our waiting room and that's had to be curtailed because of obviously social distancing and all of that. And staff have had to be re-diverted to COVID services, be that testing or wards or vaccinating. So um, for now, the services are slightly curtailed and I think that has led to a decrease in access to care and you know, people are sitting at home with infections. One guy actually told me in clinic yesterday that, you know, he sees on his app people saying, look, I'm pretty sure I've got an STD. Do you still want to hook up? Oh my God. <laughs> so, so, you know, um, it's just, look, look we, any, any emergency. So for public access in St. James's at the moment, how we're getting people in, we're seeing people who have symptoms. Um, what that kind would, of symptoms so, would you be looking for? Or should a person be looking should for? Should a person be looking for it? Very. So if you're a girl or a guy. So for females, um, it can range from, look, at the outside of it, just want to say most STIs are asymptomatic. So you absolutely have no symptoms in the large majority. They're just picked up on screening. So you would have absolutely no idea, especially for girls, um, because the infection can be sort of right up inside the cervix and they don't have any, any symptoms of that. But things that girls can notice is a change in discharge, abnormal bleeding, pain having sex, bleeding after sex. Um, and 
you know, there, there would be the main symptoms, sometimes recurrent UTIs, but that's more, that most likely is just recurrent UTIs. Mm-hmm. Um, for men, it can be a discharge from the penis or the anus, um, uh, pain when they urinate. So what we call dysuria. Um, sometimes rashes um, can appear or lesions, painful blisters or painless blisters or ulcers on the genital area. Um, we also deal with, you know, things like skin problems in the genital area. So sometimes people think they don't know who to turn to. So, you know, they'll maybe get what's recurrent candida or um, just an itch on the vulva or something like that. And they'll go to um, their doctor and they're maybe a bit embarrassed and they say, I think I've got yeast again or, you know, and they'll, they'll keep getting or they'll go to the chemist and keep treating recurrent candida with, um, with say, caniston cream or something, mm-hmm. some, some um, topical um, uh, azole and actually often I'll find that there's something else going on if they keep getting this itch and discomfort down there and they don't know who to turn to because you know often it can be hard to get in to see a dermatologist and maybe you know some dermatologists wouldn't be interested in gen- in sort of gentle urinary issues and we sort of fall in that category where we're, we're interested in it and we treat it as genitourinary medicine physicians, but people are sometimes embarrassed to come to see us because they think, oh, they only deal in infections. Okay. So we don't just do infections and STIs. We'll do skin care down there. So people who have rashes, people who have allergies, often I find these chronic candida um, that people who've been labelled with chronic candida infections are often um, something, you know, it's more a dermatitis or an allergy and we can sort them out. Um, so just for for your listeners to be aware that, you know, we we don't as consultants, we don't just do that. We do skin as well. So, you know, not to be too embarrassed going, oh, my goodness, I've been seen in an STI clinic because people think like that sometimes. You know? Yeah. And I suppose there is a lot of embarrassment around around presenting. And I suppose particularly now, like during COVID, if you've contracted an STI You've also broken restrictions <laughs> and I'm sure people are reluctant, you know, but yeah, obviously no, with I, you, there's no shame. Like, no, I mean, honestly, that there's so, I, I'm not in a position to be judging people. People come in and and I am so conscious of my position as a confidant, as someone who is probably the only person that that person's talked to about something and um, that's really private, really often embarrassing. They're really shamed about it. So I'm not there to add extra shame to the situation. Yes. I'm high, I'm acutely aware that when people come into me, it's taken often an awful lot of courage to reach out and to get them there. And, and, and they'll come in usually incredibly sheepish, incredibly nervous, but I think often leave with usually a laugh or you know we we yeah. usually be have a good chat about it and, and and they go oh my goodness that was so much easier than i thought that was not at all as embarrassing and thanks a million and it it's that's why i actually love what i do because you get so much lovely feedback from patients saying wow i i, I thought this was going to be awful and you were going to scold me or judge me but we never do you know we're you know we, that's just never your your position as a healthcare worker you're there as an advocate for your patient and to look after them and you know people come to me tell me all sorts of things that they've done and there's nothing I haven't heard before you know that people who have you know had affairs and whatever and and done all sorts of things that they think would be the most scandalous shaming thing ever but I've heard it all. There's nothing anyone can say that I think, gosh, that was terrible what they did. There's actually nothing at this point. I've been doing this for too long to, you know, to to be, you know, shocked. (laughs) I'll take you on a side note for a second. How did you decide, like, when you were studying medicine that this was the area (laughs) that you wanted to specialise in? I I was a student in Trinity and then we, we were between... James's and Tala Hospital and I remember just when I cycled through some people have the luck of getting to work in the guide clinic and I remember just being inspired by a particular doctor actually Professor Fiona Mulcahy who's amazing and she's just retired last year she was the one of the first women consultants in the country she came in 19 um, in the 80s in 1987 or 6 just as HIV landed in Ireland. So all the stuff you saw on It's a Sin was what Fiona was dealing with as as um I think she was in her third or just just turned thirty. And she was the only person in Ireland really at the time who knew about HIV because she'd done her training in Leeds and came back to Ireland, they they advertised. And she was just this phenomenal 
powerhouse of a woman who had such empathy for her patients because often at that point in time the HIV patients were you know really sort of as as you can see in it you know they were housed off in a separate part of the hospital there were there was a lot of shame a lot of um you know sort stigma of no one stigma no one wanted to see them no one wanted to be near them there, you know there was a lot of people wouldn't even go into the same room as them and 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 Fiona wasn't like that and I just thought this woman is amazing so and and I loved that there was two sides to it there was the inpatient um side where you'd see really sick patients with um interesting infections and and you could do something about it and then there was the other side of the the young people who come in with something that you could fix straight away. So it was like, it was very, I think I just needed that immediate hit of being able to, it's just my personality. Um, I just wanted that instant gratification of being able to go, right, you've got this, here's the treatment, off you go. And they were delighted with themselves. So it's very satisfying. It's it's probably a bit selfish on my part. (laughs) It's very satisfying to, um, to be able to diagnose and cure something. And it's very, um, unusual now in medicine because there's so many chronic illnesses and things that you know you're you're just helping people manage and hats off to the people that do that it's you know I think within medicine everyone finds their niches to what they do love and and I was just suited to it I was suited to listening to people's stories and and it's absolutely not for everyone but it's it's I'm passionate about it and love it so I want to tell you about another podcast on our network, one that I think my listeners will enjoy. So this week I want to tell you about Fascinated. Uh, it's with the host Gerald Farrelly. You might know him from other airwaves. And it's actually a brilliant podcast. He's so passionate about the t- people that he talks to. He gets to interview people that he loved from the 90s, people that he grew up listening to, that he grew up watching and was kind of obsessed with. And this week's episode, he talks to Samantha Mumba. So, yeah, check it out. Let me know what you think. I'm Gerald Farrelly and I'm the host of Fascinated. Have you ever wondered about the pop bands you liked as a teenager? What went on behind the scenes? We had played this, like, grand prank. It sounds terrible, but I'm just so relieved it's over. And then they had this, like, great idea of getting another girl in who looked like Heavenly. What did they do afterwards? And all of a sudden you're like, that's the end of that. It was all blowing up and it all kind of just... Unraveled. And I thought it would last forever, and it didn't. Check out Fascinated with me, Gerald Farrelly, on the Headstuff Podcast Network. Can we talk about diagnoses that you give people where there mm. isn't an immediate yeah. thing? Can we talk about HPV for a minute? Yeah, so HPV... Um, HPV is so common. It's. It's. I, I mean, I, I, I nearly need to do a recording so that I can just give it to people that I tell about HPV and go because I found myself same, having same to say things. the same thing over and over again and everyone comes in now with Dr. Google and they've Googled everything and, and 99% of the time it's wrong. Um, so with HPV, so just to explain, there's over 150 different types of HPV and HPV often just comes into people's consciousness whenever they see a genital wart. Um and maybe more so now we'll see more people coming in worried about HPV because we're doing the HPV screening on um, cervical smears. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're two different things. So the genital warts and the HPV that's tested for on smears are two different types. So the HPV that gives you cervical cancer yeah. is different to the one that gives, that you, gives you warts. warts. Okay. But sometimes people with warts will think, oh my goodness, I've got HPV, I could get cervical cancer now but actually they're two they're cousins I like to tell you you know they're not they're not the same Um, so there's over 150 different types the type that causes warts predominantly are type 6 and 11 and they're cosmetic they're not harmful they just they just don't look good okay they're just warts Um, and all that is is a little bit of excess skin in the area for most people so people will often think HPV is something that you know, you carry, you have it for life. They'll read that on the internet. That's not true. Most people naturally clear HPV by their own immune system after about two to three years on average. Um, But we can clear the warts before then. There's no cure for HPV. Your own body cures it, okay? Um, But we can get rid of the warts. We can ablate them, freeze them, you know, put creams on them. But you still are carrying But you're still carrying carrying the virus. But what harm is that? Because about 90% of the sexually active population get the virus at some point in their lives. But for most people, they're not even thinking about it. They don't realise it. It's invisible for most people. It doesn't cause a problem. For about 10%, it comes as warts. And 
you know, they're no different to the people who carry it invisibly other than they have a cosmetic defect there. So, And just coming back to something you said earlier, those warts, can mm-hmm. they also come in any orifice that you have sex in? Yeah, yeah. But we don't often see them orally. So you can get them um, anally or vaginally usually. Um, and we can treat them in both both areas. But, you know, HPV warts and hopefully the cervical cancer, more importantly, will be hopefully a dying thing that as I'm retiring in the future, I'll be telling students, you know, we used to see these things called warts. Um because of the vaccine. So we're hoping that as as the, the girls and boys that are getting vaccinated are coming through, they're now sort of in the, the first wave or in their early 20s, that, you know, that HPV and, and, and warts will be a thing of the past. So there's no point, be, say I wasn't offered a HPV vaccine when I was a mm-hmm. kid. Is that because it wasn't invented or? Wasn't invented, yeah. So, but there's no point once you've had sex, there's no point in getting vaccinated after the fact. There's there's no harm in it, um, but it's expensive um, to get. The, you know, it could be you can't guarantee you've been exposed to it, so there could be some benefit. But with it, within medicine, we often talk about cost benefit analysis, so yeah. um, that's why it's not offered for free to people because the, the benefit doesn't outweigh. Yeah, the risk. Yeah, the cost, and is it offered so. to young boys and young girls? It is now, yeah, and I'd highly encourage everyone to take it up. You know, it's it's a very safe, effective vaccine, and Australia was they were the inventors of of this vaccine, and they're ahead of the game. Um, they have now vaccinated their boys and girls for many, many years and they're starting to reap the benefits of that um, in their, their HPV-driven cancers diagnosis. You know, so the evidence, because they're only now in their 20s, 30s and cancers often don't present a bit later, you won't get the the full impact for another good few years. But um, the initial signs are that it's having a, a huge impact. Um, and is it offered for free in Ireland or is it like rolled out in schools or in how schools, can you get it? Yeah, in schools. Um, at what age? I think it's 13. Um, right. So that consent forms come home with kids then. Um, and and it's really important to to sign that because, you know, I have the few, there is obviously with all these vaccines, there's a misinformation and an anti-vax movement against it. And, um, you know, I'll, have, I'll see girls now in their 20s who've come in with warts or with cervical pre-cancer changes. And they'll say, you know, back in the day, their mom or dad didn't sign the form because they were worried about and and I would love to bring the mom and dad in now and say, look, you know, look what's happened yeah. and look at the distress. And often the daughters won't, you know, go home and tell mom, now I'm, I'm devastated because I've got these warts or I've got pre-cancer changes. Um, and, you know, the fallout, um, if you haven't done that for your child, is just enormous. And I don't, I think people need to think about that, you know, how they'd feel in the future sitting with their child and ex- you know, explaining, sorry, I didn't sign that form. So it's really important um, to get your child vaccinated. And then in terms of the, going back to the cost, so it's expensive for people, for adults to, to mm-hmm. get the HPV vaccine. Going back to um, the STI checks and mm-hmm. the and the HIV tests, what is the cost associated with all that? Can anyone just walk into your clinic or how, how does it work? So... Um, there's free services, obviously, um, in places like the Guide Clinic. Um, there's the Gemmans Health Service. Unfortunately, that is closed at the moment because of COVID. Um, and there's many, many free clinics around the country. And we're actually in the Guide Clinic rolling out um, a free online testing as well um, through SH24. But if you can't get into that service, then I've got... A is SH24, sorry, people who live in a catchment area? Or what? what Sorry, is it? SH24, Sexual Health 24. It's a, a, a company that um, have, they're, they're UK based. They're established in the UK and there is a tender put out um, from the, the clinic and from the, the free clinic. And there, it's a pilot scheme at the moment. Um, and it is only for certain catchment areas. I think it was Dublin, Cork, um, Kerry, maybe. I can't remember. Yeah. But um, I think when it was launched about a month ago, I think overnight 4,000 kits were oh, wow. were has requested. So they've had to sort of pull back a bit because the labs the couldn't deal with that. Yeah, that amount. Um, so they're being released more slowly. Um, but with regards to coming to see myself privately or one of my um, team, we, we 
offer um, a full sort of express screen would be about 120, 120 euro, a routine screen which involves a consultation and examination and potentially treatment if needed um, is 150 euro. Um, and there are the two main things. You can get a and rapid a- HIV test. So you can get an instant HIV test where you get the result in 10 minutes. That's 100 euro. So... Um, that's that's the and cost. If you do that, like, do you do that with you in the room, or you take it away and do it? Like, if that comes back positive, <laughs> and you're just in your kitchen, what do you mean? No, I know. no. Uh, so the rapid HIV test is with me. So you can buy there's there's home HIV kits. Um, people buy which are great if you're negative, but if you're positive, it's terrible. I was talking to a guy in the last week who did one at home and it was positive on a Sunday, and he was just like, "God, tell people not to do this because it's awful. It's fine if you're negative, but if you're sitting, you know, at home on your own and there, it's Sunday and there's no one to reach out to, it's very it's very difficult. So um, the HIV instant tests are or 10, 15 minute tests. We do it at the start of the consultation if people want to add it on to their STI screen and they want to know that result quickly. Um, we take the blood sample and it's like, it's kind of like a pregnancy test. Mm-hmm. Um, only instead of urine, it's blood. You take a little drop of blood and put it on the window and then like a pregnancy test, the line sort of goes up and and, and it'll be two lines if positive, one line if negative. Um, and that takes about 15 minutes. But by the time you finish the consultation, and the people go to the loo, maybe give a urine sample, then it's 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 usually ready or we'll say, wait out in the waiting room for a few more minutes and yeah. we'll call you back in. And it's kind of, you know, it's not something that we are not used to doing. So we're used to doing it. So we're used to being able to offer straight away services and what's needed and give education and advice because we're HIV experts as well. We can say, look, you are positive, but we're going to get you on treatment and we're going to get you, you know, all the services you need and get you sorted as soon as possible. So it's 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 very streamlined. So it's a totally different diagnosis as well these days than it used to be. Oh, absolutely. Like, and it's amazing because it's ironically, sometimes people when they're diagnosed with HIV end up in better health because they're seeing a doctor maybe twice a year. They're getting everything monitored. They're getting, you know, their cholesterol checks. They're getting full health screens and it's actually their other health issues that are the the problem and not the HIV. So the HIV becomes such a background issue and it's mm-hmm. things like, you know, you've high blood pressure, you've diabetes or you've got high cholesterol and all of that gets looked after. Um, so it's it's ironic now that, you know, you actually end up in pretty good health and people start to look after their health more when they get that sort of, you know, what some people would call a wake up call to their health. You know, they'll say, goodness, I need to stop smoking. I need to stop drinking yeah, so much. Yeah. So it's... Um, a lot of our HIV patients would be in great health you know they're they're really 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 healthy and and have very normal lives and is there any you know so what I'm hearing is that if people are listening and they want to get checked there's very little that can't be treated like so the main thing is to know that there's things that's preventable um, so hepatitis B, if you're at risk, you would you should get vaccinated if you're in an at-risk group. So What's an at-risk group? Men who have sex with men, sex workers, um, people who travel abroad a lot or have sex abroad. You know, we would have guys coming back and girls, but more guys coming back from, say, sex holidays in Thailand, bringing back infections, not realising that they should have got vaccinated um, on the way out there. Um, so there's things that are preventable. Um, so HPV vaccination prep for people who, um, you know, are at risk for HIV. But then um, most things are treatable after that. So syphilis is treatable, chlamydia and gonorrhea are treatable. The one thing, I guess, that we haven't talked about that isn't curable and that I spend so much time counselling young women, especially on, is herpes. So herpes is not curable. Um, but... And it comes with such stigma and it causes so much mental anguish for something that is... Is it common? So it depends if you're talking about herpes 1 or herpes 2. And I emphasise so much to people that it's really important for them to find out what type of herpes they have. Because often they'll just get told, yes, that's herpes. And they'll go off down a rabbit hole on Dr. Google and they'll be reading actually all about herpes 2 and not realising that it's not really applicable to them Mm -hmm. if it's herpes 1. So a lot of younger women, so if you're in that sort of early 20s age group and you've been told you've got gentle herpes, very often that's actually herpes 1 and not herpes 2. And I've seen so many young women's lives destroyed because they are so worried about having this 
STI and they're worried that they'll give it to another partner and that they'll be labelled as this girl that gives everyone this infection. So just want to clear up that herpes down there is can be herpes one or two. Just because it's on the genital area doesn't mean that it's herpes two. Herpes and is the same thing that gives you cold, cold sores. sores. Right. So herpes one is cold sore. Okay. And actually 50% of genital herpes is just cold sore. So when you think about it, if you have herpes one in the genitals versus herpes one in the lips, you know, it's no different to passing on because people use their lips in sex. So, you know what yeah. I mean? Like it's not, you know, if, if someone has a cold sore, they don't go, well, I'm never giving oral sex again. You know, in the same way that people, when they have genital herpes, say, oh my goodness, I'm so terrified I'll pass on herpes. Um, and they, they're not making that differentiation. So if you get, her- most people, about 90% of the population get herpes one. So, you know, you probably have it. I probably have it. Even if you don't have a cold sore or ever remember having a cold sore because we pick up herpes in childhood um, from being kissed by your aunties, uncles, mums, dads and so on. If you get to adulthood and you've not picked up herpes one on the lips, then you're vulnerable. And most people you meet or have sex with will carry herpes one. So if someone gives you oral sex, you could acquire herpes one in the genital area and it's just the same as acquiring it on the mouth it's no different from transmissibility to other people because and it's unlikely you'll pass it to someone else because most people already have herpes one anyway so they can't re-get it mm-hmm. so um, and, and and you know people get really distressed when it's on the genital area but don't get distressed when it's on the lips it's funny how the same infection can take on a different meaning just because it's on a different part of the body in the same way with HPV people will worry about warts but not really realize that actually if you have an abnormal smear then that's you know that's HPV as well but actually a more worrying type of HPV than than the wart type so it's just all I guess there's just a lot of ignorance and stigma around infection still but I would urge any girls who and guys but mostly the girls because they're the ones that tend to have more symptoms with herpes and worry more about giving it to someone is to find out what type it is we can do that with a, a serology a blood test looking at your antibodies um, and to come and talk to someone like myself an expert in herpes because you know I honestly a lot of girls out there live with a lot of shame around it and don't seem to realise that it's something that most people have anyway and that you're unlikely to pass it on especially if it's herpes one and what um, if it is herpes two if it's herpes two it's less common in Ireland it's common in some countries say America but um, less common in Ireland so you could potentially pass it on to a partner there's different ways of dealing with that but it's not as high a risk as people seem to think it is it's about 10% per year of being together you can lessen that risk by using condoms avoiding sex when you have an actual outbreak and for some people if they're getting more than six outbreaks a year, we put them on suppressive therapy, so a tablet a day to prevent outbreaks. Um, and a lot of discounseling around what it is and what it would mean to give it to someone, because for most people, most guys that would get herpes, it's actually asymptomatic in most people, um, especially the guys, because they have less mucosal surfaces. So for guys to get it, it it usually isn't a big deal. And and you know, for some it is, but that it's more the actual symptoms of herpes bar the first episodes of the first outbreaks really awful. But after that, you get antibodies. So for most people, herpes, actually the actual, you know, what it is, isn't a big deal. It's all to do with the mentality around it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, you know, people don't get distressed and upset that they could potentially get a cold sore on their lips. And, you know, if you have a cold sore, you're not, oh my goodness, this is the end of my life. You know, I desperately can't kiss anyone again. Whereas it's a totally different ball game because it's on a different anatomy part of the anatomy. So that's yeah. kind of fascinating. Isn't yeah. It? Can I just go back for yeah. the HPV for the cervical check? Is that something that you do that's happening through COVID? Yeah. So we at the moment, our clinic, a private clinic is open. We don't do cervical check in the public clinic. You have to yeah. go to your GP, but I do it in Hemorrhous Health. Um, we're doing um, smear tests at present. So anyone who's worried and they're over 25 and they've, they're have they entitled to their free cervical check, it's you don't pay for it. Um, if you, if you 
go on the cervicalcheck.ie website and put in your PPS number address. You can see if you're due it. You don't necessarily need your letter as long as you're due it. Um, you can type in your details on that website and check if you are due. So mostly if you're 25 and never had one, you're due. Then it's every usually every three years. So 25, then 28, then 31. So you can check on and it's five years after after the age of 30. So if you're um, if you're due your cervical check, screen you can just phone up and book in and get it done and we have Saturday clinics evening clinics so people can can come and get that get that done it's really important to get it to get your smear yeah I'm just asking because I got my cervical check letter and I put it on Instagram and people were like oh I got mine as well but my GP isn't doing them at the moment yeah so, so a lot of uh, there are other places you don't have to go to your GP you can go to anyone and it's still free yeah it's, it's still free so even though we're a private clinic um, you can still go to our website um, email email us you'll get an appointment that week um, and you know it's it, Saturday clinics and, and we try to accommodate people and encourage people to get as much as possible but we're open at the moment and seeing the ladies who want their smears So for people listening who who have had the same sexual partner for a number of years who are listening to this being like God do I've never had an STI screen or I haven't had one in 10 years mm-hmm. how, how urgent is this of a thing for people to not the cervical check, but but in general, just like HIV testing, smear or yeah, smear testing and STI screening. Like if you're in a relationship, it's it's amazing. Many people are in long term relationships, but never actually have had that discussion with their partner. Um, and you know, it's a good idea. It's nice, especially if you were say planning a family or something like that, because um, these infections can lie there and then affect. Um, a baby um, in utero so it's important to if you were planning a family um, to get screened if you um, otherwise if you're in a a long term relationship and you know you've both got screened at some point at the start of that or during that then that's fine you know if you're if it's a monogamous relationship then it's fine Um, I love people who you know obviously are in long term relationships coming in who've had extra you know extra sort of marital or extra um relationship relationships um so it's not always a guarantee but for most people i hope it is that that your partner is monogamous and and that everything is fine and you're not at risk then so it's something to take seriously but not to worry unnecessarily not to unduly worry but you know the most stis are found in the under 30 age group more so in the under 25 age group um but you know we are seeing that age group creep a bit more up um i guess with the event of access to sex access to dating services and all of that um it is more available and more people are reporting sort of more adventurous sex um you know threesomes and having sex with partners who are maybe um you know, sex workers. There's all all sorts of um, reports that we will get in from from patients and you know what 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 their activity is. And it's definitely getting more adventurous out there. I think there's yeah. just more access to sex compared to say ten years ago, which is absolutely fine as long as people absolutely. are taking the necessary absolutely. precautions and everything. exactly yeah. and not putting themselves or others at risk. Um, because you know. It's just if, if, if you don't realise that you're carrying some, because some of these infections, say for instance syphilis, can have long term effects on you and your health um, and and it's very easy to treat. So it's, you know, easy, get screened, get treated and, and, and off if you go pe- again. If people are sort of reluctant, you know, a lot of people say living in smaller towns who have would be concerned about going to their GP, can people come directly to you or, or, or to a... Uh, Someone like oh, you, absolutely. Or so do they need a referral. Don't need a referral. It's all self-referral. It's at the moment with COVID, you're allowed to travel for medical appointments. So even if you were in Donegal or Kerry or wherever, you can you can travel. Um, you're allowed to, you know, because I get that. I get that people are like, oh my goodness, I'd be embarrassed to go locally. The GP knows my mom and dad, and all of that. And we get that all the time, and we totally understand that. So if people want to travel, you're allowed to travel for medical appointments. So, um, outside your five k, so don't sit at home suffering and worrying and panicking and googling and all of that sort of stuff that goes on I've people who've had sleepless nights for months on end worrying about something just make the appointment get in the car and come on and, and you'll be grand the relief is amazing whenever people and is it that they should be looking up for their lo- for a sexual health clinic is that what you're called like you say if they're in Limerick they're not going to come to Dublin what, sh- what should they be googling to find that where they can travel to um, if you go on to the HSC website there's sexual gosh I should have looked this up before but I think it's sexual wellbeing being.ie um, 
And if you just look up HSE STI clinics, um, there's a long list of free services. So there's, you know, now a lot of them are curtailed at the moment. But, you know, if you're if you're in any way worried and stressed and think, gosh, God, what if I do have HIV or anything like that? Do get in the car and come up to Dublin. You know, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> a lot of people are bored at the moment. I find <laughs> and are looking for things to do. <laughs> so, so, so up to Dublin, up to Portobello. Say hi, Do you know? <laughs> I yeah, I know because I had a guy who came down from I think it was from me. Then he was like, oh my goodness, what if I get stopped by the guards? And anyway, he did get stopped by the guards, and the guard said, "Where are you going?" And he, he just panicked and he said, "I think I've got HIV. I'm going for HIV." TV test. I think the guard was so taken aback that he just quickly panicked and waved him over and oh my god okay okay <laughs> good, man, good man yourself so um, yeah so I think you know it's it's fine to, 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 to say to, you have to a medical appointment or you know STI appointment is fine <laughs> but um, yeah you can you can travel if, if, if needs be you know don't be sitting at home suffering um, if you can't get in anywhere locally because I know a lot of services are curtailed at the minute so that's sexualwellbeing.ie we think um, and if they want to contact you where can they find you? So um, my clinic is Himerus Health H-I-M-E-R-U-S health.ie um, or sticlinicdublin.ie it's under both of those so and we're off Camden Street um, in, in Portobello. Great. Anything else that we need to know? God, so much, Stephanie. Oh, God, I thought you were going to say, no, no, that's it. Everything's covered. Oh, you haven't touched on half it, but no, loads is covered there. I mean, the usual bog standard STIs of chlamydia and gonorrhea. And yeah, there's loads, loads of, loads of, um, loads of infections out there. But just basics of, you know, use condoms um, to prevent and you'll be fine then. Like condoms do prevent most infections. So try to always carry condoms with you. And um, if you're in the at-risk category of um, getting HIV, mostly in the men who have sex with men group, to seek out to getting PrEP and get vaccinated to protect yourself against the things that that you can Mm -hmm. and test regularly and you'll be grand and don't you know, don't overly think and enjoy sex and enjoy having, you know, a sex life. But, you know, be safe. And that's the main thing. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in to this episode of Basically. I thought it was fascinating. I hope that you also found it fascinating. And for those of you who, for whom the information was useful... You can get more from Ashling on Himerus Health or STI Clinic Dublin. Um, she's also on Twitter at Dr. Ashling Loy, although she warns me that she doesn't use Twitter that often. So yeah, thank you for listening. And to those of you who have subscribed to Headstuff Plus for bonus material, I want to thank you very, very much. Uh, the support is so appreciated. I hope you know that. I think you do, but I just want to say it again. And for those of you who haven't yet signed up but want to, it's very easy. It's five euro a month or whatever you can. And you can do that at headstuffpodcasts.com. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.